Hello and welcome to the 107th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and the second half discusses the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Corsair Man of War by Evil Twin Artworks. James, who are you Hi. and what do you do? Yeah, well, I'm James Carroll, as you said, James. <laughs> and uh, basically, I'm the um, director of Evil Twin Artworks. Uh, we make video games, uh, mainly at the moment for PC uh, and desktop. Okay, cool. And uh, how did you make your start? Because I, from looks of things, you've, you've been doing things for a long time. So have you been starting making video games? Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, the thing for us was that uh, my brother and I, Mark, uh, started the company um, and we've been, you know, we're those sort of brothers that have always been very close and love the same sort of things. Okay. And I think in the 80s, we were born a little bit too late for the kind of the 80s programming spectrum boom that happened. But we were really always on the cusp and really wanted to uh, get involved in that sort of thing. So we, our ambition at that point was always, oh, we'd love to make computer games and, uh, you know, obsessed over them. And yeah, I, I, think was, it, I was a, a teenager in the 80s. Yeah. Um, so I saw the Spectrum and you know, my first computer was in 81, ZX81, I should say. And I learned programming on that. And then I, you know, I, I messed around with the Spectrum and so on and so forth. Typical British evolution of an 80s kid. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day that the first ever video game I encountered was a Pong machine in Great Yarmouth. Okay, yeah. In 1977. <laughs> and I was put on a box with my brother. Similarly, you know, just a little bit older than me. And we had similar interests at the time. And uh, we, we played Pong. We didn't know how amazing what we were doing, how, you know, groundbreaking that was, because we were just six. I was six and he was eight. And he was like, I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was just a big yellow box thing. He was way better at it as well. But then again, he was better at all of the games we played against him because that's how older brothers work. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? There was that certain, you know, something special about popping into a pub and having that kind of, you know, the uh, the sit down arcade machine tables that you used to be able to get and yeah. you know play two player kind of Galaxian style games yeah. or whatever they were. Those, they were just those, fantastic. Those weird cocktail tables were bonkers. <laughs> and you can get them now, but they're main cabinets. But we, uh, okay. don't, we digress. Please continue, <laughs> continue. So you it's work, like, you work with your brother, yes? Yeah, yeah. So uh, essentially, um, we, you know, we. We love telling stories, and there was—I think that was—you know—even before our capabilities were there, we we're always into storytelling and coming up with concepts. And we actually uh, we started off uh, uh, making doing animations for uh, television, that sort of thing for broadcast. We did um, there was a TV show called like, the Adam and Joe Show on Channel Four and things like that. Did the Adam and Joe Show? Yeah, yeah, they they, they gave us our first big break in TV. They. We, uh, it was like we'd done a few little bits, but they they saw us on TV being interviewed, and I think they kind of related to it, to them, you know, because it was like a, we were sat on a couch, me and my brother chatting about our animations and wanted to, to play make games and things like that, and uh, so they we, they called us up and we ended up doing a few things with them, what which was things? fun. Did you do the stop animation stuff, or was it something I, else? You no, we, we 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 did a lot of their animations. It, there was a few like um, there was one where they did a special where they ended up going to America to try and sell this animation. It was going to be the new Guy Ritchie, and it was called Gun Boy, and he had a shooter for a hooter, and then uh, we had to do the animations for that. And, and they basically went around like Guy Ritchie, like to all these big studios, and and pretended to be uh, 
like uh, Mockney gangsters, basically. So uh, that, that's where that started from. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, I saw um, Adam Buxton at Rezd, and uh, it was the first time I've seen him in a few years. Was so it was nice there? to, yeah, it was nice to catch up. It was we were there with Man of War Corsair, obviously, and he um, he said, "Oh, I was, uh, my my kids are here. Do you know, my daughter's here. She's all right for her to play." I said, "I think she's a bit young for it, actually." But he's, "Oh no, I really want to have a go." <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I, I I know he's he's always been part of that culture that you and I know and love. Yeah, but he's skirted around it. It's all of like not skirted around, it, but taken like a, 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 a an angled view at it and presented yeah. it in such a way that others outside of it, which is a bit of an echo chamber, it's got to be said, can relate to it. <laughs> and he's done a fantastic job, and that's what he's made a career doing. But he's always given that presentation and that smirk and that tone of voice to say, "I'm actually laughing at you," but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Right? He's a really nice fella, that's the thing, that's you know, and you can't help but hate him. <laughs> so, okay, but, animations on, on, that's fantastic. I, yeah, so that's where we started, but we, um, yeah. I think our love was always, that we, you know, our ambition was to make games, and I right. think at that point, uh, you know, for us, we'd started to then, because we were using Flash a lot, we started to dabble in Flash game, uh, you know, into action script and things like that, and uh, basically started to... Uh, you know, pitch that as something we did as well. And of course, what happened was that the, um, the, you know, the Apple app store opened up and we thought, Oh, you know what? Should we just give it a go? <laughs> you know? And so we started doing some, uh, we, most, we, 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 the animation stuff died away and we ended up doing more, uh, games, which uh, was fine with us. We enjoyed that. And, um, it, so, but most of it was kind of like work for hire. And we, we ended up doing, uh, things. The last thing we did was for channel four, um, as a mobile game for River Cottage. Uh, it's like a River Cottage get foraging game. And um, it was, a, you know, it's a really, you know, really nice guy. So I think as clients go, and I'm sure a lot of developers out there know that you get the two types of clients. You get the ones that understand what what goes into making a game and the ones that for every little bug that happens, it's like the apocalypse, you know, <laughs> and they'll come back and go, oh, you know. So. It's um, what you just said there. You said, you know, you, 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 found, you saw the app store and you saw the, how um, uh, smartphones were going to just explode. Um, we, and we didn't realise how much they were going to explode, but they have. But yeah. it's, this is 10 years ago. It's hard to imagine, but it really, really was. I mean, it started, yeah. it started with Xbox Live, you may disagree, but I think it did start with Xbox Live in many regards. That whole indie scene of video games, of allowing weird, little, cliquey, weird bonkers video games <laughs> to appear on a video game console that was such a, a closed off up until then a walled garden like you can't come exactly. in exactly can't come yeah. in unless you're a weird hipster person that person there <laughs> with the beard you come in i've got this weird game about a pink donkey that farts excellent put it up yeah you know, and and it was just crazy but you don't do this this is not right this is this 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 won't stand oh but it will and it, I it, think that's what's great about the indie kind of scene yeah. is that, you know, it, it reminds me of the Spectrum scene. I mean, you know, when you've got, you know, some of the old Spectrum games, that you know, they I think because it bred that ingenuity, where, I mean, especially on the Spectrum as well, because there was very little power behind it. 
you know, you, they, they, you know, they had a certain kind of a there's a British stiff upper lip around the programming side of things where you know we can make something that's like absolutely ridiculous and it, we don't care, or come up with something amazing like uh, Lords of Midnight, which you know is yeah, still a brilliant game. I think you, you know, read my mind when you said that. <laughs> oh, they played, they, they did have much power. Yeah, and I go, yeah. What about Lords of Midnight? So, yeah, that was Mike Singleton, and he was a genius. Stop it. Yeah. And Laser Squad was the other one I, th- you know, because Laser Squad. Now you play XCOM, and uh, yeah. you know, I'm thinking, gosh, it just reminds me of Laser Squad. You yeah. know, all the yeah. the snap shoot shooting rules and all that's all there. You we know, had Julian Gollop on the show, lovely man, lovely man, and uh, he's yeah, he's uh, it's it's amazing those games, those German germination of all those games of you know where it came from and that that the, those that rubber key spectrum, which is basically yeah. a calculator with delusions of grandeur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just you know it 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 just spawned so many extraordinary games and towards the later part of its life which I wasn't part of because I left it in the late late eighties for the sixteen bits because I yeah. I saw Star Glider and I went ooh shiny and that was it <laughs> me on the ST for the next two or three years yeah but you know and I I, I don't regret it for a second um, but you know to late later years I completely ignored the spectrum but. There were amazing things they were doing on that thing. I've only, yeah, definitely. I only recently found this out, but they were just amazing. So you dived into mobile platform. You did lots of freelance work, which is a great way of just you know earning a crust. You know, someone's got to do that animation. Someone's got to do that the coding, that logic, that all of the people got ideas, but how's he going to build it all together? You became part of that that uh, means to an end, so to speak. So yeah, so, and I mean, you know, it, it gave us a creative outlet as well. We were. You know, I think that's, there was a certain degree of like, oh yeah, we can, you know, we, so you come up with some concepts here and try some different things, you know. But I think what it was, we we got to the point where we realised, you know, this is it's a job. We could we could probably uh, do this somewhere else for somebody else and not have to worry every you know couple of months where we were, you know, in terms of uh, how much money there was and things like that. And uh, I think for me, it, well, for, for both of us, we, we thought there's got to be a point where we can start making our own what we really want to do, the games we really want to make, you know, and just go for that. And uh, I think that was a, that was a major turning point for us where we just thought, yeah, look, we're going to have to roll some dice here. Uh, Cause again, we, you know, we love our tabletop games and things like that as well. So uh, <laughs> it was always, a, you know, we think, you know, we're going to take the risk because it's worth it. Cause we can either chase, chase work, you know, and, and, and have that cycle of producing things and, uh, and then having it go out, but not really, you know, recouping the benefit of what we've created uh, over and over and uh, or actually make what we want to make and you know find an audience for it basically yeah and the fact that the the, the rise and rise and continued rise of tabletop games regardless of their form um, yeah. is uh is extraordinary and i think over the last has it been five six years um you know we've got ticket to ride to thank a lot for and carcassonne Games I still play to this day. They're not my favourites, of course. They're the games that I throw in front of people going, see, Monopoly isn't the only board game in the world. Um, In fact, my board game group call it the M-word. You're not (laughs) actually allowed to mention it. Did you say M? No? No, no. (laughs) Get out! I'm not allowed to say it. (laughs) And we had this great discussion the other day about how bad that game really is. And even when you play it properly, it's still bad. Uh, and uh, it's just so you know, fundamentally unfair. But then you go, well, that's capitalism. Like, steady, <laughs> steady. Um, let's not go there. <laughs> so to bring you up to, to present day then. So this is how you got into, I mean, uh, you started making games like 
Corsair Man of War, yes? Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the things we got is, um, uh, yeah, we ended up working with uh, uh, Mongoose Publishing, um, who are a local company to us, who, who make games like Victory at Sea, that's a tabletop naval warfare game, and uh, I've got a Judge Dredd miniature battle game and things like that. And it, what happened was, was that I actually, uh, a few many, well, it's quite a few years ago now, um, brought or get uh, a role-playing book of Paranoia, which for people that don't know is, is kind of like a, uh, a dystopian, kind of Orwellian nightmare of a role-playing game where you basically have to just grass each other up to the, the, the all-seeing, all-knowing computer and... Um, uh, and it was, it's you know <laughs> I always loved the idea of paranoia, and uh, I brought this book, and I, I think I'd ordered it from America this this copy, and then I looked on the back and said published in Swindon, which is where I come from. I thought, what? Hang on a minute! <laughs> so you're telling me this company's local, and uh, basically I got we we ended up getting friendly with them, and um, getting in getting a you know just a, to a point where we had. Uh, a really good relationship with them and, and look for a long time at ways that we could work together. And um, so one of the things we wanted to do was actually, uh, yeah, develop one of the projects that we, products that they actually uh, make as a tabletop game, which is Victory at Sea, which is a World War II Pacific uh, naval game. And, uh, yeah, it kind of went from there. We basically said, look, we, we're at the point where we've got the means to make this. Uh, would you be up for trying it with us? And let's see what we can do. And I think because they'd had problems in the past with, uh, I think, you know, distance is always a problem with, uh, you know, with companies is that, you know, you get somebody from America that says, oh, yeah, we could make a game for you, you know. But then again, they're so remote. It makes it sometimes difficult when you're trying to uh, make contact with these people. Yeah, having to talk to people at 3 a.m. because of time yeah. zone issues, it doesn't lend itself and to the point where you're going, look, whatever, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna now. I'm, are you still awake? No, I'm just snoring. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's a, a collaborative working across time zones works sometimes, but some. And then when it comes to a board game, especially, um, there's a there's a reason. How where else? How else can you glean more out of a game when you actually sat there in front of the the maker of the game and playing yeah. it in front of them? Uh, although the last time I did that. Uh, I didn't know at the time he was a maker of the game. I didn't know. And I sat there with the board and I saw all the grammar errors on the board. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was sitting there the play board. I went, there should be a comma there, shouldn't there? They should, should fix that. Oh, yeah, that, that, that there, so run on sentence. So we need a semicolon at least there. And I was sitting there like this and they're all looking around like, what? What? <laughs> what? And the bloke was getting more and more angry at me like, what? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention the name of the game. I'm just keeping it there, but Yeah, it was in again. Oh, look, let's pick the grammar apart. So, anyway. Okay. But yeah, no, that's it. And it was, it was, for us, it was great. And I think we got to, you know, I think, you know, it's nothing better than actually having somebody that's, uh, you know, on the same wavelength as you anyway. So yes. to be local, round a corner, and be able to pop round there and just get excited about these ideas was just great for us. Local developer for local people. I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it was, it, yeah, it was just. I think it was really handy for those guys, and they, you know, and well, like I said, it's still handy for them. You know, we still uh, have got a relationship with them. You know, so it's uh, been it's ongoing, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a really handy. It's it's great not to have to get on a train or get up a Skype chat. But I can just literally go around a corner and there yes, they are. Roll out know, to the so. bed and then go to the pub and go right. What's the next <laughs> thing we're going to do? 
So yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, next question, then you've kind of answered all this already, but I think well, this next question anyway. Uh, but I'll, I'll give it a shot anyway because you know, I know you're taught maybe something along the lines of we've already spoken about this. What are your biggest influences as a creator? Well, I think, um, I mean, in terms of games, I, I've all, we always loved games. My brother and I loved exactly the same, really, you know, computer games. Um, there was the, the things that gave you a sense of ownership, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, we always loved Pirates. Sid Meier's Pirates was a, one that we, you know, will play uh, and get that sense that you can travel around and explore and, you know, and get, get, build your own storyline around it, you know. Yeah, they, uh, um, they actually call those games FedEx games, don't they? All right, OK. Yeah. No, I've not, I've not been aware of that yeah, one. It's a, it's a genre which, uh, of course, does have that, actually. It's basically, there's a game that's... Um, Merchants and Marauders is a really good board game I play. Yeah. And uh, there's also uh, Merchants of Venus... Um, that's a FedEx game. They call them FedEx games. Basically, you go to a place, pick something up, and then fly to another place. Hopefully, you not die on the way by <laughs> delivering said package. Uh, that's what they call it, FedEx games. Um, it's quite interesting. But uh, yes, so sorry, you, you carry on. So you're that's saying all. you're you're influenced by other games. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing, you know. I mean, obviously, we used to love on the Amiga. We used to always play, I mean, I'm sure you remember on the Atari ST, the CinemaWare games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got uh, it came from the desert which uh, with the giant ants that used to invade the town, and you basically spend the, most of the game trying to convince people that the ants are coming, and then the end of the game is just you trying to uh, have the, uh, the army is coming as quickly as possible to defend yourself against the giant ants. Yeah. And uh, Defender of the Crown, all those sort of games. We used to love all those sort of games. Um, and uh, as we went into PC, it was stuff like Birth of the Federation, the Star Trek game, and things like that, which I, I really loved. Uh, it was like a really kind of expansive, got a sense of, from a Star Trek point of view, of the birth. They did a, the they did a <laughs> lot of Star Trek games back then. You remember that? Yeah, there yeah, there was quite a few. Huge splurge of them. And then the last one they did, I believe, was the MMO. And like, yeah, there you go. Saw that, yeah. saw that coming. But yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a thing that, uh, yeah, I remember there was just one every six months. It got to just over one after the other after the other. And it's just like, yeah, uh, um, I don't remember the Birth of Federation one. I probably have played it. I can't remember. But, uh, it's one that's a grower, you know. It's like you start off because you have the fog of war, where you just all you see is your system, and you start building up, and you'd have espionage and things like that. It's a 4X game, and, and, is it then? Yeah, and you, you basically would, uh, you know, you get to the point where you've you've taken over or you know developed relationships with different worlds, and and then the Borg will turn up and you'd, systems will start blanking out. Right, you have to try and find out where the Borg were and things like that. So it's a really, uh, yeah, it's a really cool game actually. Looking for the Borg, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Anyway, yeah, and you could you could end up with a with a you know joint fleet task force, right, and uh, you know with the Romulans and things okay. and go into battle, yeah, which was cool. Three five but, nine all over again, excellent. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, but yeah, and, you know, in terms of films and things, you know, we always uh, we're quite open with our again with anything that just us, uh, you know, obviously the obvious stuff like Star Wars and things like that. But we, we we're very much uh, we we love. We love uh, horror, you know. It's a, a good old-fashioned kind of bleak. Lovecraftian nightmares always a, a good thing for us. So uh, you know, the the, 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 the the idea that you've got no hope whatsoever uh, is always a good uh, thing for, angle for us. For uh, I see, uh, um, I see a bit of Master and Commander in Corsair Man of War. Got to be said, 
Uh, yeah, um, we've read the book yeah. and we've seen the film, certainly, <laughs> yeah. So there is that was that was one of our big, you know, there was quite a few things. Obviously, Pirates, like I said, Mad Max, we wanted to get some Mad Max stuff in there because we always think well, Warhammer's got a bit of Mad Max and, uh, uh, yeah, definitely Master and Commander. But we wanted a sense of, you know, we, we, we wanted to avoid things like naval action in terms of something where it's, you know, that naval action do, you know, that two-hour long naval battles well and it's like uh that's not us we wanted to get something a bit more immediate in there really that's the it wouldn't work besides warhammer universe is bonkers and yeah. is always on the brink of absolute catastrophic disaster which never actually comes to pass but no <laughs> it comes real close really close most of the time yeah. all of the time <laughs> which keeps it which keeps it interesting so next question then is who in the industry do you most admire and why can be a developer company or a person. Well, that's a, that's interesting. Yeah, um, there's so many people that uh, you know really kind of uh, spark the imagination. Really, I think you know, like I said, from my point of view, uh, early influences were things like uh, uh, the, the Cinemaware products. You know, the, the comp- you know where they'd actually try on an Amiga and uh, you know it, it, you know on the sixteen bit machines that get something that. Had start to have an epic scope to it, because you know, and uh, I mean, yes, yeah. we know those machines are quite primitive now. Then again, everything is quite primitive you know, yeah. twenty years ago. But back then, I remember seeing those screenshots, going, "Well, that's just uh, an artist impression, surely." Yeah, yeah. no, that's moving. There was some beauty in it. Yeah, no, it's all moving. No, it's not. You're lying yeah. now. And then you saw it uh, in a store, and like, I'm just going to lose my mind. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it was a. Uh, I mean, they weren't fantastic games, can be said, but they looked glorious. Uh, yeah, and that's what you know, and that, that was fine. I mean, eventually there were some exquisite uh, Amiga and, and ST games, Populous, of course, being one of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, okay, uh, Cinema Web, fantastic. Uh, um, anyone else? I mean, I mean. Nowadays, uh, I've got a lot of respect for, uh, you know, there's so many companies out there that are doing some really, you know, just, I, I love the, the idea that, you know, that a lot of the British companies, you know, the, the innovators that we've got, still got, I mean, we're dropping down, but we've still got quite, an, I think we're coming back up again, resurging, where we've got an industry that kind of baffles a lot of the world in terms of uh, just the ingenuity and the fact that we can make games that, are you know complete world beaters, and we're not we haven't got huge mega corps like uh, um, you know you, you know in Amer- America and Japan you know, and uh, yet we still come up with some really uh, great concepts, and uh, you know I mean you, you know you can go for the obvious like you know like Rockstar with Grand Theft Auto and you know uh, things like that where they they they, they created things that are, you know are world beaters now as well, but you you know started from small beginnings. You try to explain people that GTA first of all came from a. Uh, its its roots are embedded in Elite. You and I know yeah. this because it's a sandbox game. Sandbox games started, I believe, with Elite. It may counter. There might be some other examples, but as far as I know, that was the first one of saying, "There's the universe. There's all the rules. Off you go. What? Go. Yeah. What? <laughs> go. Go. What are you doing? Go." And you know, GTA is a work of satire. Yeah. You know, like what? Like Scottish people commenting on American culture. It's what? You try to explain yeah. this to people and you trace it back and go, wow, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. yeah. And it's a glorious, glorious thing. 
And indeed, the Western they did on Red Dead Redemption, which is still celebrated, rightly so, for, to this day, was more of a spaghetti Western-like commentary on what that kind of environment was like back then, soon yeah. just after the Civil War. I believe that's when it's set. It's been such a long time. But there's that sort of crossover where you had that, um, you know, you start to see cars and things like that. Yes. You know, is that sort of a, the, uh, the the end of the Old West and the beginning of the that's New right. One, you know, was that... Which is quite poignant when they, you know, but very subtle as well. You know, it's really cool. Well, I know people would actually run along, you know, going to a mission or some other thing. No, just stop. Like, what are you doing? Looking. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god, yeah. And you see the sun, you know, setting over the the, the hillside, and like, yep, I would stop as well. Just one of the few games where you'd actually stop and go, look at that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, I do say that to developers when I see something exquisite or rendered or put together, and it's just that right balance of everything's right. Yeah. And I would like, what are you doing? Shouldn't you be doing something? I don't have to be doing something. Can I just look? Like, yeah, you know, this is a piece of visual art. Can I just look at it? Like, I guess so. Yes, you know. And um, some of the best developers, are, I still think Blizzard, what they did with WoW. With you know creating a world or an engine with very very few polygons, but exquisite textures, was was yeah. genius. And whatever you feel about WoW and how it exists and what have you, um, it did start with you know Warcraft, um, Warcraft three that that kind of rendering, that kind of idea of well let's let's reduce the number of polygons so we could move everything really quickly and fluidly, but just put really detailed textures on them and it looks awesome. And yeah, that, that kind of you know genius is 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 rare, but uh, and no no pun intended because there's another one that's still knocking around, still doing its thing, you know that rare replay collection of video games they did for the Xbox One, which I highly recommend. They did a fantastic job. I mean, they go way back beyond what they did on the Nintendo stuff. It's like right back into the yeah. Spectrum days. You know, playing Jetpack on the Xbox One is very strange, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's still fun. And I'm still not bad at it, although, oddly enough, I'm way better at it on the original Spectrum than I am on any other, <laughs> any other <laughs> version. And it must be something to do with it clicking and all the glitches in it. I'll probably exploit them without realising it. <laughs> so, yeah. my last question. This is my favourite question of the first half of this show um, because it gives me a hint about what you're working on next. It doesn't. I just like to think it does. Um because nine times I tell you you're doing something completely different. What are you playing right now? Oh, what am I playing right now? I think um, excluding, of course, <laughs> course yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Man of War is certainly one yes. of them. I think at the moment, what we've been doing, funny enough, is uh, it, uh, well, I, I've been regressing quite a lot. Um, I think because uh, because Man of War has just been so much, you know. Uh, taken my time up in terms of any any sort of big games um i've been playing a bit of obviously you know working with the uh, games workshop we get a lot of free keys so we you know uh, you know total war warhammer has been uh, <laughs> has been has been in there what a game, and that been that. What a game. yeah I, it's just weird it's it's one of those no-brainers really i've been dying to play so i mean i used to in the 90s play games like the shadow of the horned rat and dark omen and uh, just you know, it's just 
wanting more of that, you know, and it's just it's just great to actually finally uh, get something like that, you know, in you know, be able to play it and do it properly, you know, and go, wow, yeah, that is they cool. They tried, and they I think try back then. You're right, and I remember those yeah. games, but they weren't. The interfaces were really clunky, and they were trying to get something across that wasn't wasn't quite there. But it was the the, the marry between Total War and Warhammer is just perfect. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think the other one is yeah. When I, so when I get my spare time, I do uh, knock out a quick game of uh, things. Like I've got I've got the uh, iPhone version of Lords of Midnight. Funny enough, so I I've, I've been playing that now and again. So when, uh, still love to have a go. When I was a kid, <laughs> I used to speed play that. Bear, bear with me. Okay. There's this, where's speed playing Lords of Midnight? It's not a spoiler, everyone. If you've never played Lords of Midnight, you know exactly what I'm about to say. It, it is quite possible to get it done very quickly within about. Uh, I got the quickest time I got was forty-five minutes, which is not bad on a regular old spectrum. But basically, what you do is you take Morkin, take him to Far Flame, then fly Far Flame to the main, uh, um, the main fortress of the enemy, then take the Ice Crown, then smash it. Done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you completely ignore all of the strategy, all of the the big battles. You just ignore that. And you go, I don't care. Uh, call left the phase, like, annoyed. Whatever, go away. <laughs> and, he just, and, and I did that. It's not very satisfying now. I, much, I never did military uh, um, um, uh, uh, conquer or military victory. Did you manage that ever? No, it's it's quite it, it's quite tough actually mm. in that respect. Mm. I think I always try, you know, tactically so many different yes. things, and uh, and I think that's part of the you know it, it's great that you can it's it's got so many different ways to approach it, which is really clever. Yeah, it has a Lords of Midnight like Mork, you know, Morkin's a little kid basically, it's emulating a, a, a halfling if you will or a hobbit, you know, doing the quest to, to destroy the ring, but you know, whatever. Um, but. You could do that at the same time having these massive epic battles. And don't get me wrong, I tried and tried and tried to actually get a big enough force to take on the might of these creatures that just keep on coming and coming and coming. And, you know, you defend this big citadel called Zajakith, which is way in the south. And they keep coming, waves after wave of them. And it's just like, I just can't, you know, and eventually they just overwhelm you, but unless you smash the ice crown, but... Yeah, uh, Lords of Midnight. It's extraordinary. I never got into the um, the sequel though. I think no, I didn't. Uh, no, I, I mean it's one of. I keep looking at it on the actually on the iPhone on the App Store and thinking, oh, I don't want to get no, it. <laughs> it has <laughs> tunnels in it. You go into mm. you can go into tunnels and you can go do shortcuts across the scenery and pop up somewhere else, which just goes against what. It's just like how does that work? <laughs> you know, yeah. and there'd be there'll be trolls in there, and trolls were pretty vicious in Lords of Midnight. Nine times out of ten, they would slay you. Um, such and such was slain by the trolls. Oh, really? <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, but uh, no, good call on that. Uh, uh, it's um, yeah, those two. You know, total, I mean, the, going back to the Warhammer game, the, the overworld thing, and having that that extraordinary ability to move your units or your army from one place to another with a purpose is just yeah. brilliant. And it's just you know, you create allies and. You have other armies that support you. It's really, really good stuff. But yeah, it's not not for the faint of heart. It's got to be said. <laughs> so that's the first half over with. Unless you've got any more games to talk about. I think now at the moment that's pretty much what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. So you know. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on then to the second half of the show where we talk in detail about Corsair Man of War. 
James. What is Corsair Man of War? Well, basically, what we've got is, um, yeah, it's it's based on the old Man of War game, uh, made by Games Workshop, and uh, it's a, a free-roaming naval fantasy action game, really, with uh, exploration and uh, some strategy elements to it. And uh, essentially, we've been uh, building it for quite some time, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's it, what's interesting about it is that we've set it in the Man of War universe. Um, so it's one of those things where uh, it's actually set in an earlier edition of uh, Warhammer. So it's kind of it's almost a bit historical in some respects. It's a certain you know we, you know a lot of games the, the Warhammer games that the, uh, the fancy battle versions of the games are, are kind of end times and things like that now. So it's the the end of the Warhammer world as we know it going into Age of Sigmar, which is the new kind of uh, world that games workshops creating um but our one's set in a in you know in the past which gives us a, a really cool kind of uh, place to start from really yeah it's i mean that's i did want to talk to you about the setting but it where does it compare to because the last one of the, i mean I'm rattling on here but there's lots of board games now that games workshop have started to release or indeed re-release uh, like for example i have dreadfleet yeah. Now that was released about five years ago. Now I think, but I actually have it, built it, and painted it. So I, I have a copy of it. What? How was that related? That game, for example, related to, to, to this one, if, if at all, it must be. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we. It was one that we looked at actually when we talked to Games Workshop. Basically, you know, we made Victory at Sea, and one of the things we said, Mark and I always said, was we want to work with Games Workshop, and uh, it's one of our ambitions, and we basically. Uh, ended up talking to them about Victory at Sea and said we want to do, uh, you know, do a game based around something like Dreadfleet or Man of War. And I think Man of, what Man of War did was give us more options because Man of War is kind of more the uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle version of, uh, uh, you know, where of the game where you've actually got ships, fleets of ships, and there's, there was more options for us, so that we, uh, so we felt that that would be better, better scope than Dreadfleet because Dreadfleet is obviously what's in the box is in the box, yeah. And so the, the scope's a little bit more uh, restricted. It for is. Us. All you've got is like, well, you can put an island there, or wait for it, you can move it five centimeters to the left. <laughs> That's it, Kelly. <laughs> I think you're mad. You know, with Man of War Corsair, what we've got is a world we actually um, we can travel around, and it's got you know it's got the Bretonians in it. And I mean, uh, you know, obviously Bretonia faded out as as it, for those that know in, in in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, they're kind of the French uh, kind of you know uh, you know Arthurian knights of of old, you know. But we've we we, we kind of found Bretonia to be a place that is like it's. It, it, it's still a great empire, but it's at the point of where it's starting to crumble. So we've got we've got that, you know. So you can in Man of War Corsair, you can travel across the uh, empire, Kislev, Bretonia, that sort of thing. But it's kind of of its time, which is really interesting. I think that was what was fun for us because you know it. What, what I loved about uh, meeting Games Workshop and meeting all the all the team of Games Workshop is that you know that these people love Warhammer and they love the games they make and they know their stuff. And they get really excited when you start talking to them about the ideas and the concepts. And, uh, you know, there was points when we're like, we're talking to them and they're saying, well, that was a paragraph that was written, you know, 20 odd years ago. 
uh, we need to expand it. And it was a really cool, you know, so we got to create our own sort of part of the mythos uh, around Warhammer, which is really nice because obviously it's, you know, fa- the, the Warhammer Fantasy Battle side of things is really, you know, it's got a lot of detail to it. But the naval action sort of side of things, there's more scope for uh, for us to try things and experiment. And so it's in some respects, it's kind of a, it's the least Warhammery of the Warhammer games. It's kind of a slow build up to all the um, to all the different races and factions that are in there, really. So you, you don't necessarily you're not thrown in straight at the beginning with all the races at war with each other. There's this this build up, and you start to see the chaos races appear and the orcs. You know, the orcs for us are like the you know your ongoing threat, and uh, you know it's so it's a it's a it's yeah, it's really cool to be able to kind of create start to create that side of the world. Yes, and I wanted to talk a bit more about the setting and how that influenced the design of the game because, after all, Warhammer is um, high fantasy. That's the technical term for what the, the, the setting it is. Not 40,000, everyone. That's a different beast, which we've featured on this show as well on other games. But how much freedom has that granted you in terms of naval battles within a fantastical realm? It, well, I mean, the actual... The scope of the Man of War itself is just, you know, like I said, when I first pitched it to the uh, the 3D modelers and to the team, really, I said, look, we want to make Lord of the Rings if Terry Gilliam had directed it, you know? And that's where I was going, because I thought it's that sort of grimier, more twisted world that, uh, that you, you know, you, you'd kind of, you see. And I think there's, like, a, I'll bring it up again, but, you know, the sort of Mad Max is the, you know, you've got the orcs got driller killers, which is basically just, you know, ships that, uh, you know, it's a good chance they'll sink because they're so badly float. put together. They, they you know. shouldn't float. You look at them and go, they shouldn't be afloat. But it doesn't matter because it's Warhammer. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's fun, and it's just got some. You know, and I mean, as we go, we're going to be releasing more. Obviously, it's in early access now, but we're going to be releasing more races, and and they get madder and madder as they go along. You know, these we when you get to Zinch, where you've got like floating towers, the Bane Tower is basically a floating island. <laughs> With a chaos sorcerer, you know, yeah. so, you know, you got that sort of thing, and you have got the dark elves that have basically got they drag around their ships on sea ser- on the backs of sea serpents, you know. So uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun in that respect. There's there's some re- it, yeah, it's it, it's basically you know it can take us to different places. When you've got um, you know, there's a the, the sea monsters that come up, like the black leviathan, which is um, you know can swallow a ship whole. You know, it's just nice to be able to. Uh, I, I, I kind of uh, part of me, I think, always harks back to kind of old Ray Harry House and Jason the Argonaut sort of things as well. And I think that's where I, I was going with this, where I thought, you know, what it's nice that we've got, you know, you're sailing around, and suddenly there's a chance that, you know, uh, one of the things I said to the guys was that, you know, you know, on the maps it used to say here there be monsters, whereas actually in this world there, there's a good chance yeah, there will be. Genuinely, like know. it's not as love. It's not as <laughs> like oh, it's a big whale. Okay, well, it's not really a monster, is it? It's just, He's trying to eat some, like, you know, krill. Leave it alone. Whereas, whereas yeah. now it's like, there's a big monster. There's really a big one. Okay, right. Okay. It's, it's, it happens early on in the game as well during the tutorial. It's just like, yeah, your chips better eat them by a big freaking shark the size of Belgium. <laughs> what? And when I saw it, I thought, this thing's... What? That's definitely a case of, we're going to eat a bigger boat. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that's you know. I know there's there's pop culture references in there. You've done a fantastic job of very subtly doing that. You know, it definitely was Jaws all the way. You know, uh, the difference <laughs> of you is you've got a 
broadside full of cannon as opposed to uh, harpoons with um, um, weights on them and what have you. But anyway, um, that's Jaws for you. <clears throat> I was really impressed with that and the fact that you could, um, you know, you could have giant squids that generally do yeah. drag ships down into the, into the depths. They, yeah, exactly. Rather yeah. than giant squids, they they find the beached on a, on a on a beach that is clearly dead. Uh, years, you know, many many weeks before it reached the surface. You know, because yeah. that's, that's reality. <laughs> it can be dull, but you know, in comparison, but it usually isn't. But yeah, it's it's. Um, I just wanted to talk to, to 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 tell me, you know, how much that influenced the game design. Obviously, it's a great deal because it gives you latitude to go a bit crazy doesn't it yeah definitely and i think like i said as as the um as the world of man of war isn't as fleshed out as some of the other uh, games workshop licenses there was a there was a lot of back and forth and you know us suggesting ideas and i mean you know we ended up uh, putting in orc ports because we thought you know what we'd, we'd we'd have some floating kind of atoll sort of uh poorly put together ports that the orcs have made so we've got you know some threat in the sea you know and uh and i think because we deliberately created it to be a kind of a, a living breathing world which we're ongoingly uh, we're developing uh, further where you know you've got trade ships going out and doing their own thing i remember one a, a, a twitch streamer um a, a messaged me and said oh man you've got to see this i recorded this it's amazing and it was uh, he'd been sailing along, and he's looking through his spyglass at an orc port, watching this megalodon attack it, and you know smashing it to pieces. And uh, it was the first first time we'd actually launched the orc port uh, in the beta. And um, and what had happened was is that as they got it, the the port got caught in the megalodon's mouth, and then the megalodon saw the uh, the, the the player's ship and uh, swam round towards it and was actually beating the ship over the head with the orc <laughs> and he said uh, and he said you know what keep it in it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those kind of happy accidents yeah, like, <laughs> I am now going to defy the laws of physics <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you about the how wind plays a massive role in, in the game because they are wind you know they are um, sailing ships they do use yeah. So there's a there's a bit of the, you know there's influences the maneuverability and speed of the ship. What balance have you had to strike between that, you know, realism versus game, for want of a better word? I think for us, um, it's always been an ongoing battle to make just to say, look, fun is the key. You know, whenever we've you know, sometimes our programmers say, look, this isn't realistic. I say, well, fighting a fighting a hundred and fifty long foot-long shark is not realistic <laughs> so you know basically we've got we've you know we've got giant war wyverns coming into the game soon it's like that isn't realism no. you know so it's like it, it, so you know it's whatever is fun basically and i think that's something that's uh, especially with the wind i think it's an ongoing thing to make get that balance right but i think one of the things we're bringing in soon is wizards as well and you've got um certain schools of magic that will focus more on uh, wind spells so you can you know give yourself a wind boost okay. and uh you know fly change the course aren't, of the wind um, and that sort of aren't thing wizards well. a bit rubbish in warhammer universe i mean no not, our, okay. not ours <laughs> no we've been <laughs> no there's some good stuff okay. coming out of it no, yeah they're not, when you've got a volcano when I, say, when I, say rubbish, I mean unreliable that's yeah the there is that <laughs> we, we try well we, you know again this is where because we're not 
we, we haven't recreated the tabletop game. It's not turn-based. Right. Uh, we've had to, you know, look at some of that sort of unreliability. Like the, with the Orcs, I think, um, if I remember rightly, the, there's a one, if you rolled a six or a one on a dice, there was a chance that the fleet, you know, the ships would start sinking. And I said, it wouldn't be fun if you suddenly see, oh, there's an Orc fleet. And then, oh no, there's not. It's gone. You know, it's all just sunk beneath the waves, or your uh, your wizards imploded for by, for no reason whatsoever. You know, because there's there's not that kind of dice feedback that you're getting. So there's certain uh, things we've we've tweaked so that it's you know so the player's not kind of penalised for no particular reason when they're looking at it, thinking I'm just sailing along and my wizard's just blown up. You know, so it's like a, it's one of those things we've been trying to balance out as okay. well. Yeah, I just. Uh... I know that from personal experience playing Bub Bowl, for example, and you know, it's yeah. like, can I cast a spell? Oh, God, please don't. Oh, I'm going to do No, yeah. please, it'll explode. Oh, you did. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think that's the thing. In, in on, you know, well, Blood Bowl, we still play Blood Bowl on the, you know, the PC game and the tabletop. And I think there's nothing beats having a half limb with a fractured skull, you know, as, at the end of the game. There's <laughs> that sort of chaos yeah, to is, it. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, and again, it's that. I think when you when you when you're playing with you know, and it, you've got the two, you've got, you've got your opponent, you're rolling dice at each other, and the, the ball's just dropping around and fumbling left, right, and centre. There's that sort of fun to it. But I think when you get in um, a, a game like ours, where we, we you know we had to make some kind of uh, design decisions, where we thought you know this is more an ongoing action adventure, and so we, we try to avoid things that. Uh, penalise the player through no fault of their own you know I think if we'd had bits where it would bring in like a dice roll then that would be that would be different but I, I think the, the, the feedback wasn't there for the player necessarily you know so we tried to avoid certain absolutely. things absolutely and um, you know it's it's that fine line isn't it I'm sure as a developer you've known this for years but making games fun and entertaining or engaging they don't always have to be fun that's the Stanley Parable proves that um, but um, they they have to be engaging to the point. But don't make it unfair. If you no. make a game that's unfair, then you fail because you don't want a point where like, well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't physically do that. It's beyond me, and I can't do that. Yeah. Whereas in some games, it's like I screwed up. That was my fault. I knew better, but I I I, I pushed the boundaries of risk reward, <laughs> and I played, <laughs> and I lost. And that's, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, definitely. You know, sorry to think of it objectively like that, but sometimes as a, as a reviewer <laughs> and a commentator on this medium, you can't help but sometimes do it. Like, yeah, I went too far with that, didn't I? <laughs> I went, I went too, <laughs> I was trying, but yeah, I went too far. Never mind. So, um, I want to ask you about a recent uh, edition. I believe it's recent edition. In fact, when it came up on my email, oh, yes, I need to get in contact with those guys again. Um, is uh, boarding actions. In, in, yeah, the uh, well, essentially, we had boarding actions, but we didn't. Um, we've kind of improved the boarding actions. I think what, one of the things we we try again, going back to the organised chaos uh, kind of premise, that we liked. We wanted to, we didn't want it to be smooth. We didn't want an Assassin's Creed kind of uh, you know elegant battle. This was a we wanted it to be dirty, you know, like a real dirty fight. And I think. Uh, we, when we first launched on early access, it wasn't as successful. I think we had, you know, ranged combat only for the player, which we, we said to ourselves at the beginning, one of the design decisions was we don't want to do melee combat for the captain because then we're trying to compete with Assassin's Creed. And we've only got a, 
a small team compared to the our you know six studios or whatever that worked on Assassin's Creed. Uh, we, it'd be easier if we just avoided that completely, you know, and just went you know because the Empire's got uh, you know. Uh, you know, blunderbusses and things like that, you know, so there was, there was scope for that. But one of the things that came out of it was the fact that, you know, we had a, you know, we were always saying when we, when we went into early access, this is a community game. We, we don't want to alienate the fans. We want people that get man of war and get these sorts of genre of games to come in and feedback and give us, give us feedback. And one of the big things they wanted was a melee combat for the captain. So we basically, um, yeah, the last 0.3, the last update we did um, was literally, yeah, completely community driven and from scratch. And we actually had a couple of people. Was somebody messaged me and said, "You didn't really start that from scratch, did you?" Because it works too well. And I said, "No, no, we really did. We're honestly, we're quite surprised as well. It works so yeah. well. We were, you know, they, you know, it was one of those things. It, and again, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're it's ongoing. You know, it's early access. It's ongoing, and we're tweaking it and developing it. Yeah. But I think um, I just like." That sort of, you know, it's a swashbuckler. So we tried to get in the fact that, you know, you you get hit and you stumble backwards and you'll fall through people and you'll, you know, it's a, you know, you'll get a quick dirty smash in there, you know, with the thing. And, you know, it's nothing more satisfying than getting a war hammer and just smacking a chaos warrior around the head, you know, and just seeing them fly across the, across the deck, you know. And I think this is a, it, yeah, we, you know, I'm really pleased with what we did actually, and I think again, what, what it was the balance. We kind of, you know, we, we worked into it, but I think we were surprised that we, how you know balanced we got it. You know, we had a few people say to us for feedback uh, that it suddenly bored. You know, you had uh, melee combat as well as the naval combat um, it being you know two halves of the same coin as opposed to just feeling like it's been tacked on you know it felt like a legitimate option for players you know, well I think in the original Man of War I might be wrong on that but certainly in Dreadfleet boarding actions are key uh, in fact they can actually disable a, a, a ship that's actually far stronger than you because you beat the crap out of the crew <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I love the fact that when the orcs come alongside, you get this dirty great chain, and all of a sudden they drag you across the sea to their ship. And yeah. like, that's not fair. And like, no, it's not. <laughs> but, and, and then you just uh, wail at them, and then they explode. Uh, it's just, uh, just there's, there's, there's elements of um, you know suspension of disbelief, which is perfect because it's okay. It's Warhammer, everyone, and uh, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> and I think that you you've done a great job. I mean, it's it's. It's unfair for people to compare it to uh, to Assassin's Creed because, quite frankly, that game, you could said six, seven studios, over a thousand, over a thousand people work work on that yeah. game at least, and um, that's a that's a ballet. You know, you you watch it, and it is an extraordinary ballet of combat it's it's just it's exquisite the animation the flow of everything and it's just all about stabbing people in the face with those little hidden you know it's all yeah. it's a you know it's a different beast and it's not right yeah yeah but you're not fighting orcs in that game you're just you know it's just a it's, a, it's actually something else it's a simulation of um of, of, a, of a of a past you know it's a different thing uh, and i think what we've done is focus on uh what what is different about the games, you know, for us as well, you know, and I think that's the you know, the, the the whole kind of open world naval mechanic with trading and missions that you could, you know, and, and actually a, an economy that's uh, 
becomes more apparent as you go as well. Is it was really yes. important to us and having that sort of live and breathing world that would actually, uh, you know, engage you to go round and explore was key yeah, to us. I, I love think. setting sail and just going. Where you go? I don't know. <laughs> well, there's there's an alternative over there. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go down. There. Why? Because I can. Okay. And yeah. It doesn't end well. You know that, you know, James, that you know if you designed it like if you go setting off <laughs> in a random direction and thinking, let's see what I find down there, nothing good will happen. But at least you experienced yeah. it and had fun <laughs> doing it. And it's, you know, what, what what harm can happen? Nothing. You just reload and start again. Nothing's gonna bad's gonna happen, you know, you're gonna waste time in inverted commas, but you're not. You're just experiencing the game. That's what I love doing with Course Emma and the War is just to set off. In some, maybe buy some cargo yeah. for for you know for showing some willing to like I might sell it I don't know and then you just go setting off into the you know into the depths to see what you find before you get eaten by a large squid. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that sense of freedom is is very important and well done of incorporating the melee combat. It couldn't have been easy. It's a very different game because one minute you're 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 piloting a vessel. And I mean piloting. Uh, uh, the captain feels more like a pilot than than a than a regular captain because it doesn't it definitely has you know he's he's second in command doing most of the barking orders and he's the captain's more yeah. like a pilot and a and a figurehead uh, not a figurehead but he's like a guiding hand rather than an authoritarian person yeah. which is interesting but I can see why you've done that but then to have them then become a character like a will become it becomes a third person action adventure <laughs> where you're you're fighting your way yeah. through your own ship and exploring your own ship and then go okay we're, we're done now yes okay let's go back and carry on to our our, our, our attack with the squid um again i'm obsessing but my last question then you've mentioned it a couple of times i want you to expand on this more corsair man of wars being you know, it's an early access game. And how was that development, how has development been impacted or influenced by the community uh, that now surrounds the game? And how do you balance audience expectations against the needs of the game itself? Uh, yeah, well, I think the community is key for us. And I think if you go on, you know, go on to Steam or GOG and look at the communities, it's all really positive. You know, I think you can go two ways with a with a forum community and it's, you know, uh, I remember when I first spoke to Valve about uh, Victory at Sea and they said, you know, you don't want to build up a toxic community because that's it, basically. You start, it, they hate you and they they will go for you, you know. And I think, um, I know developers that say, oh, I can't look at the forums because it just makes me feel sick. And I, what I've, one of the things I've be, always been very conscious of is actually just driving headfirst into the forums and, uh, you know, and again, if you look at our community, it's really positive. And I think if you get the odd person that is, you know, uh, either trolling or just obnoxious, you just engage them and say, oh, you know, well, this is it. And when, usually when they see that there's a, there's a human and a, a developer there, they tend to shut up, really, which is yeah, quite nice. I mean, you know, thing. I, what I love about the game is its potential. It's not me being, not me being yeah. patronising. Don't think that, James. I see so many things that could happen. And so many things you expand beyond this because it's point three, everyone. Point three. Yeah. I mean, that's barely alpha. <laughs> Probably is it, actually. It's not alpha because alpha is content complete, isn't it? I think yes. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So it's. I mean, this it's is it. Alpha, We've community's driven it. The community's driven it forwards. You know, and I think this is the thing. We've got. Um, 
we've we've got a lot of features in that are that have been completely community driven, you know, and 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 have been suggested. And and we, what we say to them, we say, look, nothing's off the table. But we, I, I always say, I always temper it by saying, but the fact is that, um, you know, I need to look at a is it financially viable and B is it practical to put it in, you know? So you please, I always encourage them to say, look, just come up with the, the, the maddest zaniest sort of concepts you can, because it's Warhammer and a lot of the people on there know their Warhammer. And they, so they come up with some really mad, like, core ideas, you know, we go, wow, that was actually really good. So uh, I think um, it's, it, you know, they understand and they've been understand as they go that, uh, that, that they can feedback and will listen but we won't necessarily uh, implement depending on, you know, uh, how bonkers it is really to actually, uh, to, to, to make work. And I think, um, you know, that that's one of the things that, uh, you know, as we go more and more, we've got, you know, we ask them, you know, what do you think? You know, we're, we're developing the uh, campaign more and, uh, you know, uh, based on community feedback is uh, in building up more about crew management and having specialist crew, uh, that sort of thing. So we're going to have, you know, traders. I think one thing I'd like to do is uh, kind of get an Araby trader in, which is one of the old school Warhammer characters and things like that, and have them as a specialist crewman that you can hire in. Um, and so this is all kind of community driven. I mean, even uh, yesterday, they once somebody said, oh, look, do you remember the Famir, which were like a really old uh, uh, Warhammer uh race you know they're, they're they're an amphibian race and i went oh wow that's that's really you know i'd forgotten oh, completely slam, about them the and i said people, yeah no, no they're not these weren't slack they weren't slam these were a completely oh, different wow. race again um they were like a, a really they're kind of almost troll like really strong okay. muscular uh race and um and they they they, they yeah they were out they were kind of um yeah, like a foggy. They, they lived in the foggy swamps and uh, and things like that. And they 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 kind of like more local than the Slan, who were obviously uh, across the other side of the world. But these guys, yeah, and that's the thing is that they were in a very small niche of the Warhammer world. I thought, yeah, so you know what? I said, you know, I said I'm not gonna, we're not gonna be able to put this in the game now because it's just a whole extra, you know, rebuild, you know, modeling a whole extra uh, army for it, essentially. I said, but you know what? That could be a DLC yeah, down yeah. the line. <laughs> and he said, oh, he said, I'm really glad I brought it up then. I said, yeah, yeah, it's well, a really I cool idea, you know. So it's inspiring. After? You might say, Chris, is already in there, I haven't seen it yet, but um, I've been exploring a lot. But uh, any the idea of, like, the dwarves and their submarines? Yeah. 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 That's a... Um, should be zero point four. We got. Uh, I've been taken out. Actually, if nuts. you'd have been, sorry, they're, they're freaking we, nuts. They, yeah, they work because they're, they're, they're they're really good at building those. But uh, well, we got the flyers coming yeah, in as well. So you got war, yeah, dwarf war balloons, balloons yeah. and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah so it'll be fun. Yeah, no, they're good fun. And um, I think that's I was a bit yeah. Worried, but we actually sure they're working on it. You can't you can't do this yeah, without yeah. their submarines. You just can't. Well, to be honest, what happened was we actually we released zero point right. three, and then we started working on zero point four, which was got uh, which has uh, the right. dwarves in it, um, uh, as, along with uh, several other really cool features that are coming out, like I said, wizards and things like that, and flyers. Uh, uh, but basically, what happened was was um, we suddenly uh, there was something we realised in zero point three we needed to fix quick. So we look, we got one of the programs to do a hot fix. And he'd, uh, he did the hot fix with the dwarves in there. So people started saying, I've just seen a dwarf uh, like Nautilus 
you know, and then we're like, oh, no, no. I said, hang on a minute. No, you've seen him, but you, you're going to lose him again for a minute because we need to take him <laughs> back out while we fix it. And uh, they were, oh, yeah. But it was quite funny. So there was a, there was a little uh, thread going on where people were uh, spotting uh, sightings Losing of dwarves, uh, like, like the ghost dwarves. fleet. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's obvious, like, where are the dwarves? Because that's my, my first question when I was playing. It's like, okay, awesome, Warhammer, where are the dwarves? Because where, where? they yeah. took them out of 40,000, which I'm still depressed about after all these years. And, like, you know, they took them out. I know why they were rubbish in 40,000, but in Warhammer Fantasy, <laughs> they are a linchpin race. And, to, and yeah. I know when you've, like, and also when I first encountered your game, which was at, uh, at Res this year, and I was walking past them and Oh, that looks like a, a naval game. And I just walk past. What, what's what's the giant shot? Oh, hang on. <laughs> what's the, that's an orc. What? And then we, we, you and I started talking like, oh my god, it's Warhammer. And then I lost my mind. Um, but um, no, I'm so happy to to hear that dwarves are making their presence felt because um, you know having submarines cruising around taking out the uh, the 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 the, um, the orcs because they probably have bonus. You know, attacks on those because, after all, they're orcs, and they they have yeah. this like this thing, the blood rage appears, and they they, they lose all sense of um, rational thought, and like they all have to die because it took all their lands, of course. Um, well, not all of them, but a lot of them. So, James, it's been fantastic talking to you about. Yeah, it's been really good. Got something from it? I know I did. Um, and uh, it's out uh, Windows PC. Is that right? Yeah, it's Windows. It's on Mac as well. Um, so we're looking at um, other platforms as yeah. we go as well. But uh, those those are the Mac two at the moment. Now I defected. Sorry, everyone. Uh, I had a Dell that lasted eight years and then it died. I, I put it out to pasture, and uh, then I got a Mac because just, people couldn't tell me they'll last for thousands of years. Fine. Yeah. Cost a fortune though. <laughs> Probably twice as much as a regular PC one, but. It will last forever, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's good. But uh, no, and, and you're constantly working on it. And I don't ask asking this question. Maybe I shouldn't, but uh, I think it would be behoven to me for my audience to ask, what's your projected completion? I personally think it's somewhere between the latter part of 2017. But can you tell me when do you think you're going to? I think at the moment, no, we. Uh, I wouldn't oh. like to say. I think it very much depends on... Um, what happens with the community and what the what sort of we had a plan, but we always said within the plan that what, what actually uh, you know th- that would change if the community come up with good ideas. And the fact that already we've got a whole like zero point three, like I said, was completely community driven and built from scratch. I think is a is one of the things we've got a few other things that we need to we're going to be putting in that uh, push it back. So right now, I wouldn't like to say what what, what at what point. Uh, will be coming out of early access but again because we, we just want to get it right and and build something that the community enjoy and i think there's a point where we'll say yeah okay we're, we're starting to you know create a a, a world and a, a universe that actually um starts to feel like we, yeah we're coming to a point where it's it's working and it's yeah. this is it now you know because we just want to make a game that everybody you know people say man of war corsair and they'll say yeah this is a game 
that oh yeah i love it you know i mean was at the moment you know on steam we're at uh, 94% on steam which is really good you know i'm really pleased and you know consider it 0.3 uh, you know and there are you know there are issues with it because it is it's ongoing you know and uh, uh, it, it, it's it's always that thing same with victory c where you ended up with a you know you've got a no matter how many people uh, play test it suddenly you know t- a few days later, you've got thousands of people play testing it, and uh, there's always something comes up that you think, "Oh, what? Well, that's a that's annoying," <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, you've got to fix yeah. that. So I think it's one of those things. But again, yeah, so just just getting the community feedback was something like, "Ah, that's I, we didn't think of that," you know. And I think you get caught in a bubble, and the community pops that bubble and then says, "This, yeah, this is cool. This is what we want from it," you know. And so we've been listening to them and engaging them with the, it basically. The, the strength of this is what we don't want. Like, oh, really? Yeah. This, 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 yeah. this course you're, you're traveling down, you might want to stop because <laughs> I, I don't. We, yeah, we don't exactly. Want this is not going to work. Uh, I probably can't think of any examples right now, but you know that's that's a good thing. But like I said, you had a vision. You're a developer. You're the one that made this. Ultimately, it's your decision. You're the arbiter. You're the, you're the one to say that's good. That works as a as a, as a game make, gameplay mechanic and thing. This one, it sounds fun. But when we implement it, it won't be. Trust us, we know what we're doing. And yeah. it's going, the, having the courage to turn around to people and go, that's nice. Not for this game, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I'm going to leave you now. Um, thanks very much, James. Uh, like I said, wish you very best of luck. And of course, you're more than welcome to come back and talk about maybe towards the end of the game, we can sort of do a circle back and go, well, this is where it is now. This is where where we start from point yeah, three, yeah. and now we're at one point seven. This is what this is what it is, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a VR game. It's completely crazy. Okay, and like it, it might go yeah. there. I don't know. <laughs> Although you'd have to simulate being seasick, which would be unpleasant. And uh, <laughs> uh, but like I said, thank you very much. And um, yes, wish you the very best of luck with it. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stable mate podcast should we say of spong.com bye
Thank you.